Okay, well, we're joined today by Sarah Edmonds of Architects Climate Action Network. Welcome, Sarah. Uh, and we want to talk about a range, uh, a broad range of, of issues within the construction and the built environment, including retrofit and, and embodied carbon, which I think is, is often overlooked. So welcome, Sarah. Um, can you start off by telling us a wee bit about the work you've been doing with um, ECAN over the last year or so? Yeah, thanks, Duncan. I'm really happy to be here and talk to you guys about what we're up to. Um, I am an architect, um, but I'm also a coordinator within um, ACAN and have been for two years or so. Um, what we've been up to in the last year, gosh, I just did, a, um, I, I just had to do a presentation on what ACAN has been sort of doing just around COP and I had to cut and <laughs> splice that quite a lot because there was just so much. Um, possibly because what we are is a, a network of individuals um, from across architecture and built um, environment related professions. Um, but we are organised across like nine thematic groups. So we cover things from circular economy to education, embodied carbon, um, existing buildings, policy, all sorts of things. And those groups are um, focusing on those areas, but also doing kind of cross um projects across the groups um, and driving lots of specific campaigns. So there's quite a lot that goes on. Um, we, we've just been to COP. Um, we had a week long, actually that's where we met Duncan. Um, we've got a, a, we had a whole week long program of events, but for example, like our education group just ran this hugely successful campaign last year of um a sort of a new curriculum for architectural education and they had a huge outreach where they contacted I would I would dare say nearly every tutor in architecture across the country um, hugely enlivened and emboldened um, student groups who have also formed almost like side shoot groups called, um, under the umbrella term of STUCAN so um, there's there's just so much I mean I can't even keep up with the amount of work that education are doing but they're really really driving that agenda change because ultimately architectural education is letting down the next generation of, of architects who are coming out and not prepared to design in the context of a climate emergency, even just in terms of resilient buildings and retrofit. Um, embodied carbon are pushing for the regulation of embodied carbon. Um, and they wrote a paper about that, which was just a huge piece of work as well. Um, and in existing buildings where I originally started in ACAN, um, we launched a Households Declare campaign earlier this year, um, which was basically trying to do a bit of a public facing approach on how much our homes contribute to the UK total emissions, which is like whatever way you want to look at it is give or take 20%. And that's just enormous. And no one's talking about it. So, um, well, when I say no one's talking about it, the 29 million homes that need to be retrofitted are maybe not talking about it, but there's like several groups within the industry who are talking about it. And so yeah. we're trying to bring those together. But I mean, you can see how I really, <laughs> really could keep going on. But you can go to our website, architectscan.org, and you can see all of the stuff that's happening there. But um, that, yeah, that, quite a lot. That's a, that last point is a really good point because it's interesting. Uh, we've been talking about the connection between the built environment and, and climate change. And, and I think you're, you're spot on, you know, Roughly, um, twenty percent of, of of emissions is, is through the built environment. Now, we, I, this is interesting for me because it challenges my opinion. I, I think we have been making the case, or the people that I speak to, I think we've made the case that there is that connection between climate change and built environment. However, is that just again in my little echo chamber that we're all talking the same language? Because is that, I suppose, this is maybe a question broader for Dan uh, uh, and Alex in, in, in terms of do you think that message, uh, Sarah, is? is out there in the public domain that there is a direct connection between what we do in our homes and climate change? I think that it's getting there in different ways. But if you look at how the public have been engaged over these issues, even in recent years through the, the Green Deal and through the Green Homes Grant, absolute failures, mm. complete failures. Yeah. And what the main failure from that isn't anything about, you know, um, you know, how many projects were completed or not. It's the damage to confidence, to public confidence in believing that that there is something that they can trust because there is no trust in that. Yeah. Um, and that's the biggest damage that happened there. I think love them or hate them, Insulate Britain are getting people talking about the importance of insulation in your home. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the success of their campaign is that they have 
brought that much more into the public domain. Um, whether you agree with their tactics or not is it for another discussion. Yeah. But there are lots of industry groups, absolutely, Radical Housing Network, um, Action on Empty Homes. Um, mm. You know, there are lots of groups who are sort of saying, what's what's yeah. going on? But it's bringing all those voices together. The New Economics Foundation just released their um, Great Homes Upgrade campaign and, um, and they're trying to deliver some campaign training. So like, the bottom up is where it's at. Like yeah, that's yeah. where the action is coming from. And I think that's where we need to focus all of our energies. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Because if you look at any of the, uh, the home improvements with regards to renewables or energy efficiency, everything's a magic bullet or it's a grift uh, or it's a good idea that yeah. is fundamentally undermined by I don't know, vested interests. So the one we were talking about most recently, I can't remember if it was on the podcast, was the hydrogen lobby mm. uh, trying to get involved in the debate as a way of maintaining the gas infrastructure. You know, it's a farcical conversation to be having. <laughs> yeah. It has wonderful applications as a, a means of providing energy at certain points. But yeah, man, like what's the point of us talking about it? It just makes some old, stale, male, pale men happy. <laughs> Like that's, that's what it does for the, mm. the, the conversation. Exactly as you pointed out, it undermines public confidence because yeah. uh, at some point it, the grift is revealed. Mm. Uh, as with the uh, heat pumps, I think we talked mm. about that last week. Um, you know, heat pumps on their own, they're magnificent, but they're not enough. Mm. And they're only, they're a piece of the puzzle. And this is where what you were speaking about with retrofit uh, comes in because retrofit as a holistic discipline mm. is absolutely vital but even that's confused mm. like uh like retrofit it's it is a, a concept you can project onto it whatever you want depending where you come from and it can be used in wildly different ways like a uh, retrofit to some architects can uh just mean reusing existing building stock mm. because that makes a lot of sense as an agenda because uh, it's a lot cheaper and more energy efficient to reuse a building than to knock it down, start again. Uh, but retrofit isn't just that. There is the more personal application. So like domestic users uh, of retrofit, making their homes more better insulated and more energy efficient. Mm. And those are completely different applications. You know, mm. there's a massive institutional corporate uh, developer level and there's personal homes and yeah man it just it, it yeah. is just confusing you can't get a handle on any of it uh yeah and, and what's and that's and that's a good point plan isn't it because you know we we have a very focused view of what retrofit is because we're in we're in that environment we're professionals we work in that but you know to the average punter you know retrofits your homes under the hammers um new kitchen and bathroom um and i suppose it's about come back to the point sarah about trust on on what we need to do it's how how we i suppose how you take consumers through that myriad of options and how you build trust because going back to your point about heat pumps then retrofitting well heat pumps putting a heat pump or taking a gas boiler out and putting a heat pump in is not retrofitting your home it's just like it's just no. not <laughs> it's, you know what i mean so i think it's a mistake to rely on technological answers when we haven't even we have not investigated enough just energy efficiency across all of the systems. Um, there's a really great report called Less is More. If you do the um, AECB's Carbon Light Retrofit course, which is a great gateway for any professional who is interested in retrofit just to get that basic understanding. And when within that, it breaks down the numbers, you know, about like how much has been invested in energy supply, energy supply, energy supply the whole time and very little in just the fundamentals of energy efficiency and what that um, delivers. And I think that a really significant problem in all of this is the, the lack of um, recognition that we need a shift change in the value systems and that you need that like across the board. So like you guys were talking last week about the value that property is about accruing wealth as opposed to creating homes and and spaces to live in. And I think that the, all those daytime programming, I'm glad that you mentioned Homes Under the Hammer. We have our, like, we were, we had our crosshairs set on that. We were hoping to try and do an alternative, but that's for another conversation. Um, but it's true. It's that idea of like, 
looking at it in a different way and getting rid of this notion of payback. Like you're not, you don't ask your brand new kitchen to pay you back the way you ask your solar panels to pay you back. You know, it's, it's just saying like, well, what can I do to my home? That's going to make it resilient. That's going to make it comfortable. That's going to like maybe improve my, the skin, my my skin condition or my kids asthma or all of those things. And we're, it's not talked about enough because it's not convenient. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not like the same for everybody. So you need to get that into the language of what's important and what's valuable in our homes. And maybe like, I think we've been talking about this a little bit, but maybe we just need to lose the word retrofit because, you know, when we're talking to householders um, and maybe we're talking differently about just how we view our homes and how they are so important to us. And now is the time for that. You know, everybody gets the importance of their home having been forced to live in it for however long recently during the I just think, I mean, we need to get guests on that we disagree with, uh, Jeff, because I I, I can't agree more with what you're saying there. And I find myself like the Churchill nodding dog because I gave a presentation yesterday to Passive House Trust. And what what, what really frustrates me, and it must frustrate you, is we we look at retro, okay, let's let's just use the term retrofit. It's it's what we all know. Well, it's going to be there for a while. I'm liking it a lot. (laughs) Hopefully Dan and Alex are going to come up with something that's more powerful. But... but, (laughs) But what we do is we, you know, we're, we're accused as, as in, in the day job that we work in, we're accused of being too expensive. And I say, compared to what? Mm. What, what? what is it you're measuring? If you're measuring bricks against bricks, then that's not the metric you want to measure. And what we were talking about in the past first trust yesterday was the worth of deep retrofit and how that has an impact on society, the economy, health and well-being. You have to factor these costs into that that retrofit model. And if you don't, then you're just comparing different materials. And that's that's not a way to measure stuff. But there's a question for Dan and Alex then, like, don't you get really fed up when you, when you get it the first time, right? So you get it and you think, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Like retrofit is a system and, and how it improves our lives and how that then adds value to our local economies and how that brings communities together. If we look at it holistically, if we look at improving the, the common areas and the spaces between buildings, and if we're looking at biodiversity as well, which we often overlook as a sort of an add-on, as sort of like the side thing. So you get it, right? And then you're in conversations with people again and again, and you're like, oh, I mean, but it's not complicated. It's not a complicated concept. Like, so now can we just like accept that we get it and push that further? Why do we still have to convince people? And I'm talking when I say people, I'm talking about our policymakers. Like, why do they not just see the value if they want to be cynical about it? This can be, you know, their political career train if they want it to be. Like, I just don't understand the lack of engagement with it on that level. It's too hard. I mean, if we, if you're talking about policy and politics, if we've learned nothing else from the last, what, six, ten years, uh, it's that no one likes com- complex ideas politicians don't like having to articulate them and the public isn't interested in trying to understand give me a simple thing whether it's true or not mm. and i'll i'll stick with that like all sorts of studies uh in people's response to climate change for example you know like people can be presented with evidence but if they have an opinion and they have held that opinion for long enough the more evidence you present present them with the more entrenched their position mm. becomes like that is the reality of what we are looking at. So we need to stop trying to bang our heads against this brick wall. We need to think about a different approach. And I was going to mention something Jeff and I have been talking about, I mean, literally for years now. Jeff keeps talking about how we need to promote comfort rather than mm-hmm. energy efficiency. And finding a way to articulate that, that's the one. Because like it just struck me uh, watching... I mean, I don't watch it as a habit. Grand Designs, you know, it's one of them infuriating programmes which comes on regularly. But there was a couple who'd spent 30 grand on two infinity sofas. What even is an infinity sofa? (laughs) Jesus wept. Uh, Like 30 grand on two sofas. Now, I mean, you know you're talking about a different sort of socioeconomic bracket and Grand Designs full stop. But 30 grand on two sofas. (laughs) And it was out of budget. It took them well out of budget. But they were prepared to spend their money on it because they saw value in it for them, for what they wanted. So their personal vision for what they were. I'm, I'm, I want to avoid the word aspirational, Jeff. The, the idea, the goal that they were going for, uh, like the way they wanted to live. Because mm. it, 
it was within their means. And lots of this stuff is within one's means. Lots of it isn't, though, because like you get into retrofit, you're talking deep retrofit, it's going to cost 30 grand mm. to do it properly. But there must be ways to incrementally improve people's lives and comfort. Oh, I see that there are, there definitely are. And I think that what we need to recognise is that we're never going to get every house deep retrofitted and we would, we're going to do ourselves, a, uh, we're going to kill ourselves if we if we hit that standard. What we need to start doing is understanding, and we talk about this a lot in um, the existing buildings group, about what are the immediate things that you can empower people to do right now. And the likes of, say, Anika Kelly in um, Carbon Co-op in Manchester, and it was the very last thing I did before lockdown. Like it was all in the ether and everybody knew that very soon we were all going to be told to like get in our homes and not come out again. And I hopped on a train and went to Manchester about two weeks before that and went to um, Carbon Cobb for doing one of their workshop days because I found out about them. And I thought these guys are incredible. I need to go and see what they're doing. And part of the day was just understanding the basics of draft proofing and the basics of the difference between ventilation and infiltration. But like you're sitting in a room with, with 20, 30 people and somebody has like, you know, your classic snake draft excluder. And that's what we're talking about, like on those levels. And you're talking about, you no, know, don't fill your air brick with loads of foam. That's, that's the good air. And this is the bad air that we're going to do. And if you just sort of explain those sorts of things, so you make it immediate so that people become aware of making those small changes or turning your thermostat down by one degree. And it's finding a way to, to make that really um, something that's interesting and valuable to people because that information exists everywhere. Like your energy provider will have energy efficiency measures on their website. Who looks at that? Nobody. Like, so you need to bring it into really common parlance and, and make that value change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and that's what the difficult bit is, which is why you start to think of things like what are the technologies that we could use to deliver that message? Is it still daytime TV? Is it TikTok? Is it, I don't know, like, not that I have any clue how to use TikTok, but like, you know, it's those things like, how do we get that message across and how does it become important? And is that, I think, Sarah, you're right. It's, it is all those things. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, whilst we, you were talking, I was thinking about all these things that we see on TV, for example. It's all about short-term gains, you know, to talk about how TV shows are about, you know, improving your property for its value, never about really its comfort about, apart from maybe um, the 30 grand sofas, Dan, as you were saying. Um, but it's all about using all the communication channels and starting shifting the, uh, the message that's being put out there because currently we've just been sort of trained and sort of conditioned into sending out the same message, upgrade the value of your home for resale, for for whatever, but never for this idea of comfort. And actually, these are things that are very powerful that people do buy into. We are, at the end of the day, we are the users of our own homes. We want to be comfortable. Uh, right now, my house is at 17 and a half degrees. I'm finding it really hard to, to heat up. I would love to have a house that where I can warm it up within a few hours and think, oh, I'm not spending, I don't know how much my bill is going to be. Now, that stuff is very powerful. And I think as just lay people, we need to get more and more of those messages and try and get other people who are using all these very powerful communication channels to promote short-term thinking into promoting long-term thinking. That would be where there could be a real uh, system shift for retrofits and all the value, the real value, the long-term value that we get from from such a... Program. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think Alex is right. And I think TikTok's an interesting one. Like I've been uh, watching a, a, a sort of a meme cycle of TikTok landlords because uh, landlords are an issue in this whole equation in mm. that there is no interest for them to make properties uh, more energy efficient by mm. and large. I'm talking domestic market rather than social housing, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um they uh they, it's just it's it it's not within their ken or their concern like it's just not a thing it doesn't register their tenants can suck it uh and uh i mean the same goes for the energy companies it is to their benefit that no one visits those sections of the website because this is all about increasing consumption but like the 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 thing of the tiktok reminded me of the i heard something on sunday night bbc uh news was talking about TikTok landlord influencers, you know, passive income, the way to uh, generate passive income, it being the dream is to buy cheap in uh, low price areas, rent high, buy more, more passive income. Uh, and All right. So this is some dude saying, uh, all right, you can do this to create passive income and invest. And they, I mean, there's dozens of them probably. Uh, they've got quite a following. Uh, 
can you do the same for like how much are you going to save insulating your home appropriately and can you turn that saving into some other uh means of communication uh like you know uh, the stacks of apps with um savings apps which do that top up when you purchase so you buy something on your card for 98 pence and it puts the two pence into a savings account which is then invested like can you establish the same sorts of uh, ways of articulating the benefit of insulating your home appropriately to make energy savings and save the difference uh i mean this is an idea that we're promoting in a much more corporate institutional level in a, another channel like there are ways to do it but it requires finding the right people to do the communicating and finding the right message which makes it much less boring because mm. oh man that is it isn't it like everything it's all boring this <laughs> it's all boring it's perfect it's dominic cummings isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, i don't know i i just think if, if for a second i'm just mind minded again of what Sarah mentioned at the start about the architectural uh, schools, I guess. Um, um, and the fact that there doesn't seem to be, I just think, just take, take a step back for a second, useful. There doesn't seem to be any coherent agreement around what actually we should do necessarily. There's there's a broad move towards accepting, you know, the, the, the fabric based approaches and so on as, as being really important. Um, but there are fundamental disparities, especially when it comes to existing buildings, especially older buildings where there may be more restrictions on them, you know. Um, and um, I don't know how we reconcile that and how we, um, I mean, it's really interesting in the context of the of um, of the architectural schools, among other places, because the way I see it, you have in some cases these seemingly unimpeachable authority figures who've been, um, who've been, uh, teaching a you know a particular kind of uh approach to architecture for for decades um and who uh maybe haven't really been su subjecting their ideas to the scrutiny of 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 evidence-based approaches and so on um so how, how do we before we think about the best way to message you know um do for starts do we need to try and uh uh get as much uniformity as we can on agreeing what the priorities should be what the right approaches are or do we at a stage just say screw it like you know if the people who are who are um who are saying uh, clearly what we think are nonsensical things uh that jar with this do do we do we just um do do, do, do we just uh, you know try and ignore that and focus on on on, on getting the messaging right for, for the stuff that we that we believe is correct well I, just before sarah you you came in i, I think yeah i think what you have because we're talking about trust here and we're talking about a period which over the next couple of years hasn't been defined in terms of what we do. I think what we have to do is get professionals in charge of the design. And as long as you've got professionals in charge of design, um, you know, architecturally, um, then we can talk about what that design is. But I think, I think it's about how we put professionals back in charge of the design rather than market-based solutions, which, which is essentially about product-based solutions, which is not a holistic approach. Mm. I, I think. I, I think it's a really good question. Sorry, Dan. No, no, crack on. I, I think it's a really good question about, um, well, there's so many things actually that I could come back on, but I think when we're talking about um, what's the what's the agreed position or what's the scale, what should we be doing as an industry? I, I, think, I think we have to push from the bottom up. And, uh, okay, fundamentally, we don't have the time. We do not have the time to push these, as you used earlier, these pale white men, whatever, like in, in power who really don't care. Not enough. You know, like, let's just look. Alok Sharma calling himself no drama Sharma. Like, I'd like a bit of drama, please, because we're in a damn emergency. Like, I'm really holding my, my tongue here. But a little bit of drama would be great because right on the same stage as you, people are telling you that if you don't commit to more, if you don't do more, I am going back to 
the country that I represent with a death sentence. You can't get any more straight up and down than that, than a demand. And that's not enough to move those people and their dead, cold hearts. Like, let's just be clear about that. <laughs> but so that's not enough to move them. But I tell you where the movement is happening. Like, you know, you talk about those architecture professors or, you know, men and women who haven't like adjusted their, their teaching and their approach to that. Where did that power to change come from? That came from students. That came to people who aren't like stuck in the mire of the, the, the processes that they've been doing for so long. When they come to it and they see, hang on, like we have passed, we have passed the threshold. We are in an Anthropocene. We get that. And we're terrified about that. And this isn't good enough. You need to do better. That's where the power comes from. They're paying the fees. The, the, they suddenly, you know, the, the, the schools are changing and they're following what the, the students demand. So the question is, who has the power? And to quote Scott McCauley, who is in, who runs Anthropocene Architecture School, actually, and he's also in ACAN, we did a session with one of the university groups just explaining about ACAN and how, how you sort of mobilise a group of people. Um, and he just made this really simple comment which was has stuck with me ever since and it was to say to those students you have more power than you have been told and I think that applies to everybody I think that applies to the public as well it applies to systems where power is important and controlling populations is important in the way that they think so I would like to say to the public listening is that you also have more power than you have been told and you have agency and you have to get familiar with your agency because when you do and you realize, hang on a minute, I thought that door was closed. It's not. I just pushed it. Nobody on the other side of that door knows what the hell is going on, but I'm coming and I'm going to change it. And that is how it happens. And you just have to have more people around you to quote another ACAM person, Eve Choi, who ran a lot of our um, ACAM events up in Glasgow, an absolute dynamo. But she was saying, you surround yourself with those same people and you are unstoppable. And those things really are the important thing. Like, let's not about, like, let's not, you know, you maybe want to cut that bit out, but <laughs> no, <laughs> we, no, no, no. we've got to, we've got to, you know, just, we don't have time. We don't have time. We just have to do what you can do. Yes. Hold those politicians to account, hold them to account, tell your local politicians that you want more start from the bottom up. Um, you know, the top, down just they've had 26 years of cops like yeah nothing's happening I know. I know and i think i think you're right Shaman. The, the the sympathy of billionaires isn't isn't enough is it really that idea that occurred to me now which is just a complete lunacy um but um if we're talking about this as a war effort why don't we have uh we love rationing? that don't we the blitz why, and don't, that. <laughs> why don't we have energy rationing you know well, an energy crisis as well so everybody gets a budget yeah. of energy Right per person, and you maybe make extra dispensations for for elderly people, for instance, and so on. Um, and you have your budget per annum. That's it. You don't get you go any over. You don't get any more. You know. <laughs> I mean, that was energy. that was what Joanna Lumley, famed Garden Bridge campaigner, was advocating the other week. You know, you know, you can spend it on a few luxuries, like a luxury budget. Well, I mean, it's just farcical in today's environment. Like it's yeah. that's like the flat tax argument. You know, it's no, people. I don't think it's the. I don't think it's actually a viable idea. But I guess my point is, if you think about it from that perspective, all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, as a hypothetical argument, how do you get there? You know, and and how much? How do you get there without uh, making your life miserable? You know, um, and uncomfortable, and so on, and losing all the amenity of the of of the energy that you might need. You know, um, but, like you don't. That isn't actually what is required. That's a simple idea. And there is value in that, in that, uh, like referring to the how politics only works on simple ideas nowadays. Like that's sort of an approach. If you can find a little sound bitey nugget yeah. uh, that works, like, oh man, that is a powerful thing. And if you can use that to, to, to parlay the idea that you're giving people into something a bit more comprehensive, then you've got something of of real mm. value. I think that's one of the great successes. You mentioned Insulate Britain earlier. And I think I think what they're doing is uh, magnificent uh, in some regards because they're getting this really simple concept, insulation, boring as hell, uh, onto the agenda. Like yeah. it is, it's tedious, the idea of insulation. But uh, like, man, it's the most effective way of doing what we need to be done immediately. And it's a thing that everyone can have an impact on. Yeah. Like, you know, laying a snake at your door 
closing mm. your windows or making sure your windows are closed. Like maybe you needed a little bit of education about whether you should be closing up your vent and your mm. air brick and that. But um, that's something achievable. But then fundamentally built into this is the only means of communicating this to a wider market, a wider market, a wider audience is through the media. And the media now is so toxically opposed to these ideas uh, that it doesn't matter how virtuous or noble your intention. If you cause their car to be delayed at any point, yeah. uh, they will gun you down. Yeah. They will did, have did, you. Did you see you that? No power. And again, yeah. that comes back into the grassroots that you alluded to, yeah. which is what Insulate Britain is. Man, how many of them? They got sent down this week. Mm. Like they, they're going to prison. Mm. Uh, and man, Fra- who's going to f- be prepared to take that risk? Especially with the 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 anti-protesting uh, policy that's going through the House of Commons right yeah. now. Terrifying. Yeah. Jesus. This, so what this... even is achievable? Uh, so speaking back to that point, Sarah, about you know about trust and about grassroots movement. I mean, do you think that the just just to go back to that point then about insulate Britain? I don't know if you saw that Frankie Boyle tweet during the week. You know, um, the most you know one of the most hated groups in Britain are the people who want to you know just in the middle of an energy crisis, just before the winter, want to actually improve the efficiency of homes. You know, that that's the absurdity around how <laughs> yeah. insulate Britain is treated in the media. Without recourse, they're just, they're just, you know, they're just, <laughs> they're, they're, a, they're a loony bunch of people who want to do something daft, really, you know, energy mm-hmm. crisis, winter, you know, insulating homes, come on. That's the yeah. biggest success of the Tories, isn't it? Yeah. Like that is right there. That yeah, exact yeah. response is their biggest success. I mean, I think coming back to what Jeff said about like, if it's a war effort, then there are rations. Um, and I think that plays into the the rhetoric that we could do with moving um, away from in this agenda anyway, which is to make this notion of like, you got to reduce your consumption. Like that means stopping something. That means having less of something. That means it's a negative thing into like making it something that is a positive experience that you gain something for from. And if it is going to be a war effort of sorts, then I think actually the, and I hate, I hate, I hate the military re- references because we could do without all that. Yeah. Yeah. But we find ourselves using them because, you know, they've been around. But I think, you know, there's been ideas floated before. And if you think about like what happened um, in the Dust Bowl in the States and about how it became about regenerating the land as a national effort to do that, we could think about this in a national effort way where you mobilise groups of people to get involved and do um positive things within their community that also that that is their their feedback from that is the connection with their community their feedback from that or their their payback i should say from that is maybe it generates jobs locally maybe it generates other opportunities locally so you sort of start to talk about this as community building i mean pe- people don't really like to talk about community because it's, everybody's a bit uncertain about what that means and does that mean i have to go out and talk to people i don't really know or like and you know so there's, there's like issues around there that we could do with like fleshing out a bit but making it as a a positive thing um could really see the change happen you know oh, yeah you are right like um another uh controversial political lesson we can learn is from the bmp who and this is something that they've done time and time again if you look at how the far right, far right parties uh, or political movements operate what they will historically what they've always done in order to generate uh, engagement is to move into communities and do something visible and obvious that helps. And mm. so if you look how they were operating in the southeast of England back when they were a, a viable political force for a little while before UKIP and then the Tory party uh, stole the ground from them, they went into communities, did litter picking. Mm. That were it. Go into communities, do something visible, show you're making a difference. Mm. Like, that is the way that one can make some some change. Mm-hmm. Like on a corporate level, Alex and I, this is why we've got involved in all of these things. Like mm-hmm. we're we're doing little bits of work to help people because this is a cause we believe in. We've got some track record. We can make a difference, and we're trying to generate business as well. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. we've got to eat. Uh, but like, you oh, got to heat your home, Dan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, like it, it's it's really important. You've got to show that like there's worth in doing this. That you've uh, that and that things are that something is achievable. Mm. Uh, and then yeah, with your enthusiasm, people will buy into it. 
Sorry, man. That, that's the floor. A, well, that's that trust thing you're talking about, Sarah, because the, 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 the trust thing at a community level and just what you're saying there, Dan, about how you, how you foster that, I mean, that's something that's quite powerful. I think there are some, like, I think we also need to get, like, it's, so just to come back to, like, my background where I am, it's the Architects Climate Action Network, right? It's about mm-hmm. taking action. It's about doing things and trying to see change because, you know, we, you can talk about change till the cows come home, but why, how are you going to change it? And I think there are some, it's like, I'm interested in talking about practical things, things that can happen and things like, how do you actually do that? Like, okay, we have these, these theories about stuff and those are great ideas. And how do we roll that out? And like, you talk about having some crazy ideas, but this is where you kind of start with these things. Like, you know, we had this idea at one meeting over a year ago, like, let's do a program called the Great British Warm Up, and let's do that. And let's like, you know, log into that kind of, um, like that language that's understood by people. We went as far as to actually write a six episode, six episodes for a series and spoke to a production company, which is something that's still in sort of in the parking lot that we'll see how we can go with that. But there are things like that, but there are things like make it mandatory to cover off retrofit in all architectural training in a, in a meaningful way, but not just in a, this is how you detail external wall insulation embedded in all of the, the, the different elements that you need to study in architecture so that they're able. So you're creating a design workforce to come out and and facilitate that but then in their part threes make it that there is a toolkit of this is how you set up a a local retrofit company or this is how you connect with your community to do that and this is where you don't then have to rely on the likes of horrifically paid overworked intern jobs in big architecture practice i won't name the bodies here but like just ask me in a message and i'll give you a list um you know it's too long unfortunately so like Give the power, give the skills and the tools where they know there's going to be jobs that are interesting and valuable and hugely creative. I mean, talk about not building anything new anymore. There was so much creation in that. Any architecture um, student would be, you know, all over that Mm -hmm. if that was where you were channeling that and giving the skills and the tools and, and bringing it there. Then you look at somebody like um, the NEF who are giving these toolkits to communities to say, like, this is how you create a bit of an energy about this. But then we need to also, and we're, we're working on this other toolkit, which is about how do you, um, what do you actually need? Like, okay, you need a person who's really good at administering and you need um, this and you need that, like the actual little bits of tools that allow people to go, okay, we got that far. Now we can develop what we're going to do in our community. But we need to give those little things, like little packages of power to people mm-hmm. who are enthusiastic about it. Yeah. I would, I would also say that I think architects are a bit like influencers in a sense. They are so um, sort of involved in all these projects. They are the ones who actually have or could have that knowledge. And as you say, if making it mandatory for them to understand what retrofit is and to be able to communicate that message. I, w- I wonder if they're not actually at the forefront of this, this entire movement just because they are the ones who actually have so much influence on individual people on projects to say this is the right way to do things and a lot of people i think are willing to listen to to people who have the knowledge and often they are considered architects are very knowledgeable people they're the ones who are actually setting up the vision putting in all the plans uh managing the project sometimes etc um they are the ones who should be given as you say all the tools and the and the the, uh, the means to actually really say, right, retrofit is the way forward. You have to do this. Now, it's not to say that they have to force people, but I think they could be in such a position to really uh, make it uh, a really viable option rather than actually not hearing about it at all. A lot of people who do work on their homes, on buildings, they've never heard of it. And some architects are obviously not communicating that. And I think every single architect should always say, at least consider this option. And here's why you should be doing it. I mean, the regulatory landscape is changing so that that kind of has to happen. And I would argue as well that, unfortunately, it's quite often clients and developer clients as well as private clients that need that education and that request, like that that level of knowledge and understanding. I think like this has been the year or the last two years where there's been a lot of publications out there that have been aimed at supporting that shift change. So um Letty have the London Energy Transformation Initiative have released a couple of papers. There's the there's the Climate Emergency Design Guide. There's the Embodied Carbon Primer. There's the Client Guide, which is a really key document to just set out how can you talk to your clients about doing this differently. Reba 2030 Challenge. There's the Letty. Sorry, one other one that we worked on as well. The Letty um, Retrofit Design Guide. Amazing piece of work just sets the the whole picture in context and it's just looking at the domestic the non-domestic stuff's coming um soon 
just this morning, the Architects to Clare launched their practice guide, which is about like how you would actually pivot your practice and what you should be looking at in order to change those things. But it is, there's so there's a lot out there that's happening. It just needs to happen more and quicker. Um, and I think architects are well-placed, but also have to recognise that they're part of a collective of other people who maybe have a little more power, a little less power. Um, and it's also about um, empowering our local government as well, um, where they've obviously all been sort of decimated by cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts, and there's only so much they can do. Um, but they are, there are, there is a lot out there. Like lots of councils have been really at the forefront of bringing back their their climate targets from 2050 to 2040 to 2030 in some cases. So it's um, seeing, it's finding all the doors that are ajar and like pushing them together and connecting them all up together. Yeah, um, I just noticed. Sorry, Mon, you go ahead. So I'm just going to say, I think also there's a really interesting point you make here, thinking about the user experience side of things. There is a lot out there. And I wonder if it wouldn't be interesting also to look at the, this landscape of actually putting together a massive plan or, or visual plan of all these things out there and assessing actually how effective they are. Because as you say, from your perspective, this document or that document might be incredible and really good and really powerful, but would it be the same for a layperson or another type of user, as we say with Dan, as we talk about users all the time? Um, I think it'd be really good sometimes also to challenge our preconceptions of what we think is good and bad, understand mm -hmm. what actual users are thinking of these things to be able to actually adapt them. Because these documents should be living and breathing documents that shouldn't just be there out there and then just be le left to sort of just never change. They should always evolve. So challenging that conception and seeing what people think would be a really good step into making sure that we are communicating the right thing, knowing what should be sort of chucked out because no one cares really and really focusing on the important stuff because there is sometimes too much, I think, out there as well. That's a, that's a good point. And I, I actually feel slightly overwhelmed with the amount of really good documents, especially in the region, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Now on, on my desk, I've probably got seven or eight documents <laughs> that I haven't read. Totally, this is yeah. my... Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, exactly the same in, in the letter documents. But look what's on the top of my pile. Ah, oh, lovely, yeah. <laughs> but but the, the thing is, though, uh, those documents are all really good for us as practitioners, uh, you know, ge generically speaking. But is there a document out there for a consumer? I mean, maybe that's the, maybe that's what we're missing here. There's, because... there's, a, there's a good one that, um, well, there's a recent one from a small practice in Manchester called Additional Studio, who, um, together with the support of the REBA, um, but I've just, I think actually it's today, maybe their exhibition is opening um, and it's um, and it's in hand in hand with a, a little document that we um, had sight of called Decarbonize Your House Now. And it's specifically for the sector of society that can engage an architect to do some work to their home. So it's not all households, obviously it's a specific group of, of homeowners. Um, but that they're trying to put together this like little almost like a pre-briefing document so you can look through that and get a sense of why and what you need to be engaged in and what you should be thinking about um and because of the impact that the that the construction industry has on our on our emissions so there are things like that happening um but yeah those are the sorts of things that would be really useful mm. to make more of and i like this idea of the keeping them live and active is 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 really important because you don't want to just to become irrelevant after a while and it, and then you know it's sort of dusty gathering on the shelf that's the intention certainly this morning listening to architects declare with their practice guide this is like version one and they want it to be iterative and they want to come back and reflect upon it and get feedback from users of it so specifically architects i guess i'm um, doing that um, but it it is an important process. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, like tangentially related, but related nonetheless. Is there's a message Duncan dropped in the chat when he couldn't get a word in about uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that this is a challenge on the scale of the the NHS. I mean, does anyone know how that was even instituted? I'm professing my own ignorance here. Like, I know that it was a big fight. Uh, and it took a long time, but how did they win that fight? Because it is the same sort of scale of challenge. Well, it basically came out of the beverage report, and part of the what the thing that because I think the thinking was because of the Second World War, it forced opinion towards a much more socially cohesive system. So 
I think. But that's essentially where we're at just in terms of climate change, in terms of the, I mean, you, you can still use water as a backdrop, but just in terms of the vehicle to get there around the NHS. Scott, Scott McCauley uses that, Sarah. You know, he says yeah. it's in the scale of the NHS, probably bigger, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, th I think it was, uh, it definitely came out. It was the khaki election, 45 when um, when Beveridge was taken up by Labour, wasn't it? I'm fair to show Beveridge report was yeah, taken yeah. up by Labour, yeah. So but it needs that kind of backdrop to push something forward. I think it comes back to um what you uh what's out there, what what people are engaging with, whether or not they feel paralyzed to do anything, whether it feels too far away, whether and like, you know, I mentioned earlier our Households Declare campaign. Um, it's it's really a great website full of great resources and designed by the incredible Richard Hooker, like all of our graphics, which was amazing. Um, and it's it's got loads of numbers. So you'll go there and you'll get lots of, of stats and, and information. But I think the next step for us is certainly much more about storytelling because numbers don't win hearts, you know, like it's the stories. And I think um, Earthrise Studio um, did a, a, a series of, um, I guess films or short films on um, people on the front line of climate change and just delivering their story just to make it like you know this is this is the reality this is this this is this human's experience you're a human how about that like how about you connect on that level and I think we should do the same here where we should just really get people to engage with the fact that four million households are in fuel poverty like people are choosing between eating and heating like it's turned really cold recently right how amazing to be able to turn your heating on you know we're continually going around with our you know cardigans and wrapping up as well but to be able to do that and not to then think oh, I can't actually do that because I can't feed my family like what a horrific state of affairs and we need to engage with that because you know it's a privilege to opt out of that knowledge you know it's a privileged position if you can just turn your face away and say oh, i'm not listening it's too scary that's a privilege you know yeah. you shouldn't we should be doing more on that but how, how do you make people care like yeah. because i mean that that's been a truism for at least 10 years uh at least uh like the people have been choosing between uh food and fuel um like yeah. how in, in an increasingly, uh, I don't know, febrile or frenzied environment, especially when you're looking at poor people, mm -hmm. they're increasingly maligned. Uh, I, I, I would, I, I would the, the, what I, the example that, that comes out of me there is Kathy Come Home, uh, the famous, uh, was it Ken Loach? Yeah, Ken Loach. And yeah, yeah. the 60s, which kind of put birth elsewhere, wasn't it? I think that came from mm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and it's storytelling again. Yeah. You have the right story that's that, that's made artfully enough and the right way, um, and with 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 the right reach, um, it can be transformative. Like so that, you know, in order for that to work, though, like part of the uh, a big part of the the problem with communicating in that manner is that the media landscape is fragmented. So you you're talking about a time when there were probably two channels. Uh, at that point, you know what we need to do? We need to hire Cambridge Analytica, Dan. We need to get them <laughs> yeah. oh, man, you know, more Russians, more Russians. Get the band yeah. back together, yeah, exactly. Let's, <laughs> let's get on the lib train, um, yeah, exactly. And then we'll just we'll just bombard people through Facebook, brilliant, yeah. But I, I, I'm yeah. thinking more than one show. <laughs> let's get Alex Jones on the case, <laughs> anyway. Jones, sorry, I Alex, you make a really good point though. Um, I, I keep thinking uh, every time we talk about this about the amount of energy and and intelligence actually that's poured into all these very nefarious activities like exactly what Cambridge Analytica did, Analytica did. It's not as if there wasn't the the ability to and the the power and the people to to harness a thing and run with it and massively uh, increase its power as it were. Um, I think we should look to what all the the people are doing out there you know for just selling just random products. I think today actually. Is Black Friday, isn't it? As a, you think about if you just listen to the, the radio, if people still listen to, to normal radio, but the, the number of ads about just consume, consume, today's a day to buy all this cheap thing. I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was just li listing out all these product after products. And this has been repeated day in, day out. And the message is certainly getting through to, to lots of people. Mm -hmm. Why is it that within this climate crisis, uh, there is actually on single one day and actually over the last two weeks, is, is, is we're hearing more about how to consume cheap products than we are about fixing the, uh, the climate crisis. Yeah. So using what other people are doing, where they're putting a lot of it, 
um, sort of energy and time and money into these rather pointless tasks. If we look at how they do it, take a leaf out of their booklet and use it for this, I think there is something there as well. So Jeff, you are yeah. absolutely right about your analogy. But it's also, <laughs> I think, about points in the, like, um, oh, I just seem to be churning out all these names and talking. <laughs> I really need to get out a bit more. Um, the Donella Meadows essay on leverage points, if you haven't read that, it's like 18 pages or something, and it's just brilliant. She's a systems analyst and systems thinker, and she basically talks about the points in the system that have the biggest impact and uh, to no surprise obviously mindset paradigm shift is the biggest impact that you can have and that can happen like in an instant if you've got a compelling um you know event or something that, mm-hmm. that does that that drives that or you can build towards something that does that and I think that's where we're all sort of talking about recognizing is having that impact on the mindset and the way people think so it's like I think we would do well in all of our endeavors to look at the bit that we're focusing on, like this bit of policy, where does that sit on this like priority list of leverage points and how much energy should we then be putting into that? And is is it more effective to take some of those strategies and use it at the next point up or the next point up um, and sort of do this analysis to see? Because I think often what happens like, you know, does it matter if Joe Biden is president, Barack Obama is president? Okay, arguably it mattered that Trump was president a little bit more, but they're still in that system that is broken and are limited to how much they can change that. You know, similarly here, it's like we can fiddle around the edges of how you do, you know, how you do something in a particular system. If it's too far down the spectrum to have a big enough impact, then that's a lot of energy maybe put in a slightly wrong place. So it's like understanding like what's most effective at those different points on, on that scale. Yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's made that. I mean, the, I, I think it's a really interesting uh, uh, topic, uh, Sarah, about, you know, something on TV. I mean, that, that would, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, <laughs> how much impact would something have in the one, one show? Probably, quite a, <laughs> probably mm. quite a bit, you know, even though it, it might not be our, our, our medium of, of, of choice. But Jeff makes a point, and I tried to make it yesterday. Hopefully I, I tried it. Um, we, in Scotland, we spend about two and a half billion a year on, on heating our homes. Jeff made a good point last week, but yeah, what, what, what would he get from that? Because he certainly don't get the levels of comfort that we're talking about through passive house or, or so on. And I think it is about tying that argument back to what we're spending just now and what we're not getting and how you move to levels of thermal comfort and air quality that are that are significantly better for the household, for society. It's how you start to link those arguments up. Like I said, the presentation I did yesterday was trying to trying to look beyond cost and look at the, the co-benefits. Not even the co-benefits, the benefits of healthier mm. homes. Maybe we should, do you know what? Maybe we should talk about healthier homes. Mm. Well, you know? this, is, this is it. Like retrofit describes the process, not the benefits of yeah. the outcome. Uh I think you, you you're absolutely right. I mean, this is something Jeff's been banging on about for ages as well. And uh, I can't remember if it was last week or another a, a conversation we've been having. Like the amount of money that is spent on heating is an investment, but it's an incredibly short term investment. And given that that is the 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 tenor or the vocabulary used for all these conversations, you know, like with homes, your home is an asset, not a place to be lived in. Perhaps we need to start banging on about uh, the the amount of money being spent on heating being such a poor investment. Yeah. Like, so put it into terms that are, are much more emotive because yeah. in contemporary society, money is much more emotive than comfort. Well, well we the again without without trying to um, uh, sell my my presentation too much yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> copies that are available for all good you should put this all in the, the, the notes on the podcast yeah no I'd, I'd much rather uh, get it out there uh, <laughs> but what, what, what we were saying was and maybe this is something I know I know sometimes it feels as if we can't change things and and, and that policy at the next stage up is 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 doggedly uh, difficult to try and change but what I was showing in the presentation yesterday was 200 million that the social housing tenants in the little local authority, just not not the residents, the social housing tenants, but 12,000 homes, they'll, they'll spend on average 200 million over the next decade heating their homes, right? You can't have a conversation about poverty. You certainly can't have a conversation about leveling up. You, you know, you can't have a conversation about health and all that without looking at that and saying, that's just disproportionate. You get 200 million pounds on some of the, the poorest, most vulnerable households 
in one little area, never mind the rest of the country. Uh, maybe it's how we articulate that in a one-show doco. Mm. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. I think your idea about uh, getting these, uh, creating a, a, a retrofit TV show is a belting idea. Like, Brilliant. it's something that, you know, we were hypothesizing about a little while ago. So perhaps we'll have... Let's continue the hypothesizing, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was in the first iteration of that document you were holding. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you can show people the, the values, again, so reality TV storytelling, mm. perhaps that's where it's at. Yeah. Perhaps well, that's, yeah. I mean, I tell you what, what it is, you know, it, uh, we're talking about benefits and outcomes and so on. Um, I, five years ago, I lobbied um, successfully to get um, a, a policy into into the local authority where I live in, in, in southeast Dublin, Dunleary Down. And we got a requirement into the county development plan that all new buildings in the county uh, must be built to the passive house standard or equivalent, right? Um, wow. And it was subsequently uh, big rearguard action against it by the Minister for uh, what, what, what's now the Minister for Housing in Ireland. Um, and um, it, it, it stayed in the Sorry? Just what a job, Minister for Housing in Ireland, I mean. Yeah, and uh, well, part of the argument against it was, um, was that it would prevent um, uh, uh generic housing designs for large schemes being uh you know being used in the area i mean that's completely contrary to the idea of good planning anyway you know um but um but the point was that um that uh when we when we were trying to uh win over councillors to support this this motion uh i think that you know we we organized like we got legal opinions we 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 put seminars on and stuff and a lot of, an awful lot of work going into thinking behind it but the clincher i think by far um was we found a homeowner in mount marion um uh who lived in a passive house and we organized one cold february january february evening for the councillors to come around mm. and visit us and they were like giddy school children. They were so kind of amazed um, by this house that didn't require heating. And, they, and it was stuff like the uh, homeowner, he was, Niall was taking out uh, jars of food from the cupboards to show them that the temperature they were at and stuff. It was bizarre, you know. Um, but from that point on, they were just sold on it, you know. Um, and I think, I think um, what you need to try and do, and a TV show is a good substitution, I suppose, it's as close as you can get to actually letting people into the houses you know in some ways um but that that's why i i think the likes of maybe expanding the open doors we, weekends yeah. that have been happening with the likes of passive and so on are, are going to be so kind of critical it's just giving people that emotive yeah. kind of experience actually making them feel it for themselves yeah. it's just so important i think to win hearts and minds you know well, everything is user experience like <laughs> yes <laughs> shamelessly but like that's why we called ourselves that because that is how that is what makes the biggest difference. Like yeah. what you described, Jeff, was the tangible experience of uh, being in one of these homes and feeling the full force of, oh man, this is all right. Yeah, yeah. good idea. And then Carbon yeah. Co-op use that. They they use one of those strategies in terms of their community engagement. I think they call them home energy parties where, you know, people come around and you like it. I think there's something to be said for doing it across the spectrum. So like not just sometimes when you see the exemplar, you sort of think like, oh, wow, that's all the way over there. And like, I can't access that. Yeah. Or you do a kind of a series of them where you're sort of like, well, these people did this little bit and then let's go and have a look at it. Let's take a thermal imaging camera. Let's do an air pressure test. Let's do a few different things. Let's see how it feels. Let's talk to them about what they would have done differently as well, as well as the exemplar, as well as the let's look at this house and how much money they're spending on heating and where it's all going, like straight out the, you know, the poor fabric or whatever. Well, I think like more... Yeah, more thermal imaging photography needs to be used in this because this yeah. is what really uh, struck Alex and I between the eyes when Duncan showed us, like the photographs, the before and after shots, yeah. uh, effectively in red and blue. Mm. And red is where you're bleeding money. Mm. And that's just waste. It's a yeah. disgrace. Uh, yeah. And it's like relatively easy to produce mm. and it's very easy to understand. Yeah, it's that's, a great demonstrator, isn't it? Oh, yeah. man. Uh, like more of that. People yeah. will get it. Uh, yeah, I think that's really powerful. See if, if you, I mean, see if you had, you know, regional, local 
open house events for tenants, for politicians, for anyone really. I think that's really powerful, actually, Sarah. I think you know, getting people along, and then some of the some of the difficulties we have with policymakers is talking about. Because I think we had this conversation before. You know, air tightness with insulation is one. Yeah, sure, insulation is big, but you know, forty percent leakage through air tight. We have to kind of we don't want to go, we don't want to be too technical, but you have to get people to understand things have to fit right, things have to be sealed tightly, you know, because if you don't get that part right, then you, you really don't get it overall right. So I think that's really interesting. I like the carbon co-op thing. Sorry for cutting you out there, but Sarah, just building on what you said there on the idea of a TV show, you want three or four houses in a row, right? You want one uh, basically interfit or passive house. You want one, uh, you know, lighter touch retrofit you know some kind or another um you might want one that's i don't know uh want building reg standards in there that's for yeah, sure and you, you want, want to show how yeah. that is. And, you, and you move people from one to the, to the next yeah. uh yeah. you know identical houses uh in the same conditions um and get, let them feel the difference mm. you know. maybe maybe you have jeff maybe you know that family swap maybe you have house swap yeah you have, <laughs> uh, you have people going from a passive house to a leaky old victorian yeah. tenement but it's true. I think that is true. And the other thing, just to, to say who else is doing that, because I think it's really worth people knowing what is happening out there. We spend a lot of our time just doing research on what's happening out there, like who's mm. doing what, so that you can build on it and that you can spotlight it. So I think really important to do that. But London councils have also just released, uh, published in the last um, month or so, um, the London Area Retrofit Action Plan, I think, something like that, where they worked, it was, well, I think, Walthamstow Council and certainly Enfield, because um, know what somebody in there who was part of that and they did this um sort of guide for local well for the london boroughs about retrofitting their um their local their housing association and lo- and social housing i'll get there eventually the words <laughs> will come out <laughs> the social housing uh, systems and, and how to how best to retrofit that but i think they also have in walthamstow like a a demonstrator home uh-huh. that they can then take everybody to and that they can experience that and i think that's absolutely yeah. right like you're right like alex and dan like everything is user user yeah. experience yeah, like that sometimes can feel like when you talk about user experience sometimes that almost like detaches the it make user experience can be a little bit less human in a way like to if you talk about like yeah just people in the space people feeling their way like and and giving them those demonstrator projects and i think that um is really compelling yeah yeah yeah. i mean one of the things uh one of the things i think we've been talking about but we've not landed on yet is the need for uh, in terms of energy efficiency uh, in homes, we need to find a five a day, yeah. like a slogan that sums it all up. Like five a days, a bollocks. Like it was invented <laughs> in the 90s. I think it was a rehash of another idea by, I don't know, the Californian food, fruit and veg lobby. Yeah. Uh, like it is that explicit concept. But it was extremely successful in marketing and it was adopted globally and it does no harm. Mm. Uh, like it's a really beautiful, uh, succinct way of thinking about one's diet and nutrition. And uh, you hear it all the time everywhere. Now, out of all these experiences that we're discussing uh, and uh, bits of research that people are doing, we really need to try and find a way to uh, analyze all of this, the, the data that we've collected effectively, uh, and synthesize it into something simple like again like in terms of messaging it's like distill it to value proposition key benefits you get all the research you look at it really hard and you think about it really hard and you distill it to its its most based base components yeah it's most based components as well yeah mm-hmm. uh, and like if you can manage that then you can you can produce something that people just get they don't have to understand all of it but it's something that, uh, man, just a hook to, to implant into their brains. Like yeah. that's what we're looking for. Exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 ruminate over that and get there somewhere. I think uh, we probably need to wrap up at this stage. That's fair to say, Sarah. Thank you so much. I don't know if there's anything particularly you want to say. Uh, you know, in, in in summary, Sarah. But it's been amazing having you on. Yeah. 
It's been a real pleasure. I mean, I think it's great. Like, I, I, I sort of agree with you having to like maybe get some people on that you know yeah. agree with because <laughs> this has do. been a real pleasure. <laughs> but I, I, I think, um, I think the thing that I would say, like in terms of what we need to do, uh, it's, it's about it, it comes back to that notion of who has the power and, um, being comfortable with having power because it's how you just it's how you de- determine what power is. So I think it's getting to know your agency. And getting to know what you can do and and c- connecting yourself with just other people. Like, okay, so I've learned a huge amount from, you know, campaigning and working with Architects Climate Action Network. And now I'm also on the steering group of our local community energy group, Stokey Energy. And we're sort of, you know, doing different things. But it's actually the people that I'm doing this stuff with that really keep you going. So you end up with this you know, a huge bunch of buddies, like who also help with all this sort of climate anxiety. So get to know your agency and have a chat, like just talk about it, just talk about it and just say, I don't even know what to do. Could we do something? Cause yeah, you could do something. Everybody could do something. So just like get familiar with your agency and then see how far you can take it. I think that's a great message to leave it on Sarah. That's been really brilliant. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on. Really, uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Happy to. It was great. Cool. <laughs>